The thing that also relates back to the larger military is the philosophy of pushing responsibility down to the individuals that are closest to whatever action is occurring. The philosophy is that those individuals are best positioned to make decisions about what needs to happen. Thank you for tuning in to The Leadership Sessions, a podcast series of conversations with guests from around the world, hosted by TPC Leadership. In this series, we discuss how leadership is transforming, and we talk with inspirational guests who are willing to share their personal stories and learnings with us. What are their strategies and tactics to thrive in these uncertain times and beyond? In our previous podcast, TPC partner Tom van Dijk interviewed Cécile Renier, Vice President Europe Customer Support and Success at Walters Kluwer. And today, Tom welcomes Vince Martinelli. Vince is currently COO at Boston Fusion Corporation. But before that, he was in the US Army, in both the Special Forces as well as in diplomatic roles, and in different countries. Tom and Vincent talk about the differences in the military and civilian world and about what they can learn from each other when it comes to leadership. Hi, Vince. Welcome. How are you today? Great to have you. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. And uh, I'm very excited about being here and talking about leadership. It's a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So I appreciate that you uh, TPC focuses on this topic. Thank you so much for being here. To be totally transparent, this is the first time that we have a former colonel of the U.S. Army joining us in our series. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I mean, it, it brings a lot of questions to my mind. I find it a very fascinating sort of parallel universe, if I may say. I'm wondering, was joining the military a childhood dream of yours? It was very much so. I was a funny kid. I was always playing with toy soldiers and and military games with my friends. Uh, and I think it was when I was uh, probably uh, in uh, probably about 13 or 14, a cadet from West Point came to my school dressed up in a very fancy, uh, nice looking uniform and showed videos of uh, cool summer training that they did sliding down zip lines and dropping into water. And uh, from that point on, I, my focus was I, I wanted to be an officer. I wanted to go to West Point. I wanted to be in the Army. Uh, and so, uh, fortunately, I was able to do that. Fantastic. Then reality hit. Was it like you expected it to be? Yes and no. Uh, it was It was certainly yes in the sense that you have had very, uh, there, there are always very dedicated people uh, in the military that have... Um, very high standards, and they, 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 they're very motivated by having a purpose, a higher purpose in their life, uh, in their lives. And so uh, that part of it came naturally and is what I expected. The discipline was a lot harder. I had to get used to that. So I was the first person in my family uh, to be in the military and uh, had no real experience with it. So I consider myself a pretty self-motivated person, but it was a little uh, tougher getting used to the discipline discipline being um, uh, imposed from outside. Let's say that. Since then, you've um, built an impressive career spanning from your service years to, to corporate life and in different countries as well. As an introduction, could you briefly share a bit more about the path you followed? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Sure. Uh, I graduated from the United States Military Academy and served as an infantry officer first over in Germany, uh, actually during the tail end of the Cold War, which uh, 
indicates my age a little bit, but that's okay. And uh, then I moved into special forces. I, it was a process that I had to apply for and try out for and then was accepted into, uh, and I commanded a special forces detachment. Um, my, I, I was... I'm a person that's always attracted to challenges and I, and I love taking on new challenges. And so it was a natural progression for me to go from infantry to special forces. Um, and, and, you know, it was at that point that, uh, for a few personal reasons, I decided to depart the military again, looking for uh, exciting challenges that I wanted to, uh, to go after. And so I departed the military, had what we call a break in service for about six years. And, and during that time, the first thing was uh, I had this idea that I, I really wanted to qualify for Olympic trials as a runner. And, uh, you, you know, so I threw myself into that. Uh, Probably was not as prepared uh, for what what I needed to accomplish that, but I was good enough that I was able to uh, train with a team and a, and a group of elite runners with a you know with a coach, uh, but did didn't make that goal. But uh, you know it was always in my mind that that's what I was I was going after was this idea of qualifying for Olympic trials. And uh, and after that, my wife I had just recently married after I got out of the army. We uh, traveled down to South America to learn Spanish. We actually knew Spanish. We were trying to improve our fluency and we lived with a family and traveled in in Ecuador and, and, and in Spain. And uh, and at that point, I, I knew I needed a job, but uh, I was looking for what my next career was. And I, and I uh, found a company outside of Boston that was an infrared technology company. And they moved me out to Silicon Valley as a sales engineer working with our software and infrared products and our clients out there. So I got to work with great companies like Apple and Intel and Hewlett Packard and uh, just was fascinated by the the world in Silicon Valley. The company ended up getting bought out by a competitor. I was laid off and I um, actually decided I was going to move in a new direction and I started a, a fitness uh, and training company. So um, I was training people to complete marathons and triathlons. Uh, I coached uh, adults, but also at the high school level, track and field and cross country. And, uh, and I, what really attracted me to this is I love helping people accomplish their dreams and their goals. So I love helping them, finding out what those goals are that they have, helping them figure out a plan to get there, and then helping them train to get there. That really, really... Um, gave me a sense of satisfaction seeing the development that people go through to improve and then achieve their goals. Uh, and then uh, through a, an odd series of circumstances, which I won't get into, um, I ended up in a National Guard Special Forces unit uh, based in, in, in Silicon Valley. And when I took my oath of office as a National Guard Special Forces officer, it was January of uh, 2001. So a few short months later, 9-11 happened. And a few short months after that, we were preparing to go to Afghanistan. And I went to Afghanistan with my, with my Special Forces detachment. And it was the most transformative uh, experience of my, of my military career, uh, really, I think, of my, of my life at that point. And uh, gave me a sense that I really wanted to um, get back in the military, that the country needed people. And now was the time uh, to, to, to get back in and help. And so um, I contacted the Army and uh, 
And they had a program that brought me back in. And uh, I was very, very grateful uh, that they allowed me to do that. I went, They let me go when I asked to depart and they brought me back in when I asked to come back in. I love that flexibility about the Army. Um, and they let me focus on areas where I had recently figured out that I had some some real skills in, which was the international arena and working in different cultures and different languages. Uh, and so they, they let me uh, focus on that, uh, becoming a foreign area officer. And then, the, then I served the rest of my career through, yeah, exactly. 20, through 25 years. <laughs> so Vince, as you are aware, our topic in this series um, is, is leadership. If I asked you to describe your, your personal leadership style in, in three words, what would you say? I would say that uh, that's a very tough question, but thank you for asking. And I'll take a stab at, uh, at it, which I think the three words that I, would, that I would use are respectful, collaborative, and bold. So if I've learned a few things in my career, it's that, um, first of all, I'm very much in the camp that everybody deserves respect uh, just for their common humanity. And I think that's a very important place to start. I'm, I, I, I'm not one of these people that, that believes that uh, someone has to earn my respect right from the get-go. I think everybody is deserving of, of respect. And uh, along with that, um, goes the importance with, of relationship building. And, and you can't develop a relationship if you don't show respect and give respect to other people. Uh, and relationship building is, is incredibly important in, in any endeavor uh, and any leadership uh, capacity uh, because you have to establish trust. And, and that uh, is something that develops over time, in my view, through a um, consistently respectful dialogue. Once you have the relationship, then um, I think that it's important, uh, you know, to be collaborative. And um, the thing that's important to me uh, that is always establishing a common purpose with the people that I work with for the organization. Uh, once you have a common purpose, then you can have something to collaborate around. And so uh, it's very important to give people the sense of where they're going and um, how we're going to get there and get their input on, on the best way to get there. I always uh, really love to surround myself with top-notch uh, individuals, very talented individuals, because I feel that helps me uh, as a person and as a leader. Uh, and, and I know it helps the organization to be more effective. Um, and if you have really talented people around you, then you're just wasting that talent if you don't seek their input on how uh, to get uh, to where the organization needs to go. Uh, but it really begins with establishing that common purpose together and then figuring out, uh, you know, together with input from people, um, the, the best way to get there. And then I, I also believe very firmly, though, that in being, in being bold and, and looking for opportunities to not just be incremental, but to find ways to, to move forward significantly for an organization. The thing about being bold is that it's easy to be bold prematurely uh, and not be prepared to be bold. And so, um, you know, for me, I, what I typically uh, say to my team is uh, that we have to be ready to be bold. Uh, we have to be prepared. So we have to have the processes in place. We have to have the standard operating procedures. You know, we have to know what the strategy is, what the plan is. Um, and uh, once, once you are functioning as a team and have those processes in place, then when the opportunities arise uh, and you see an opportunity to be bold, then you can go after it knowing that you're, you as a, individually and organizationally are prepared to do that. What would you say 
are the biggest differences in you know from a leadership perspective between the military and the civilian world well i think one of the the principal differences in is in the military you typically would have individuals that are committed to um, being in that in that environment for a number of years so if they're an enlisted soldier they've signed up for a, a term of service officers uh, typically serve uh, until they're asked not to serve or decide not to serve. And so you have the talent that you have, whereas in the civilian world, uh, people are a lot more fluid. They tend to see, if they see opportunities, it's easy to move uh, to new positions, uh, new organizations, new opportunities. Uh, an analogy I use uh, occasionally um, and the, the, the percentages are, are just made up, but, uh, but uh, you know, in the military, it's typically about ni- 95% training and 5% uh, combat. And in the civilian world, it's, uh, it's the opposite. So it's uh, 95% combat and 5% training, which means that, the, in, you know, in the civilian sector, uh, you're always uh, at war with your competition. You're always um, struggling to survive. Uh, and, you know, day in and day out. And that is really, um, that is really challenging to, uh, because it affects burnout, people's sense of burnout. Um, but it, it also, um, forces you to say, okay, certain people are performing, other people aren't performing as well. How do we help them perform better? Uh, and, and the, and the focus is really on, again, that, that constant, competition you have uh, from from so many different directions. Uh, the military, you know, tends to, to really focus constantly on training for that, that uh, eventuality that they hope never comes, right, which is the, 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 the terrifying combat uh, periods. So I think in, in, in the military can certainly learn from the civilian sector in really that focus on uh, the bottom line and really uh, understanding how difficult it can be to um, survive in, uh, in an environment where you're under constant competition. Uh, I think on the, on the civilian side, in the civilian sector, the civilian world could learn um, a lot from the military in terms of organization and planning and goal setting and, uh, and um, also a sense uh, developing a sense of Purpose, you know. I think that the the military, the, the civilian world, can really learn from the military in terms of developing um, goals and 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 plans and strategies to get there and organizing for for how to do that. The other thing is uh, one thing that comes naturally in the military is teamwork because you're doing it all the time and uh, you know you're forced to not forced to do it, but teamwork is so essential because it can mean the difference between life and death. And so you tend to develop very close relationships with your team, uh, the members of your team. Uh, and it's critically important that all team members uh, are cohesive and work together well. And uh, so there's less of an emphasis on that, I find, in the civilian sector. I think that, you know, certainly there's a, a lot of teamwork that goes on, obviously, but uh, the sense behind it is less that uh, there's a less critical 
aspect to why we have to work together at teams. So it's a little less natural. And, and I think that uh, you know, developing that sense of teamwork in the civilian sector is something uh, that could be, uh, there's some lessons could be taken from the military. And, and, you know, I mean, it, I, it sort of uh, go, should go without saying, but to um, make sure that they understand that they're appreciated for what they're doing and what they've done and the time that they're putting in and the effort that they've made. Um, you know, it's, I found that when you ask people to do difficult things, uh, sometimes just simply saying thank you or saying, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing, that that really goes a long way to making people feel uh, satisfied with, with the time that they spent. Are there any other examples that you could share of these, I would say, people rituals um, that the civilian world could really benefit from? Well, I think simply um, really recognizing promotions that are given to people, uh, small or large, um, it's really important to recognize that promotion, in my view, in front of uh, the team, uh, to give that public recognition that, the, that this individual has, has shown potential for greater responsibility and has been promoted to the next level. Uh, so I think that's something we tend to do in the military by, again, by, uh, by habit or ritual because we have promotion ceremonies uh, where your next rank is pinned on to the shoulder. But uh, that happens a little bit less in, and certainly less formally in the, in the civilian sector. So trying to just make sure that people receive the recognition uh, that they've been selected for this opportunity and this, this promotion is important. Vince, earlier on uh, in this conversation, you spoke about a couple of things that you associate with leadership. And I remember the fact that uh, that you mentioned collaboration and that that is something that you got from military and that you would describe military environment as one where getting the inputs from whoever is best placed um, is important, that it's a, a very collaborative effort, that teamwork is essential even literally for survival. Um, for me personally, this clashes a little bit with the stereotypical image that I held of the military, which is a very sort of top-down uh, command and control kind of uh, culture, a bit probably also portrayed in some Hollywood movies that we, that we know of, uh, you know, like, uh, what's it called? Platoon, stuff like that, movies like that, where, you know, people are just yelling at each other and whoever's in charge is always right. So could you shed some light on that? Is, is the army, does it really have like a different culture? And, and is it a lot more collaborative than we imagine? Well, thanks for the question, Tom. It's a great uh, point to explore a bit. And, um, you know, I want to make uh, clear at the outset, I, I don't want to see, I don't see it as a comparison with the civilian sector because there's a lot of collaboration, obviously, that goes on in the civilian sector. So I just want to talk a little bit about that collaboration in the military, but without comparison. The short answer is yes, I believe that there is an untrue stereotype of the military being, being far less collaborative than it actually is. Uh, in my experience, there has always been a, an emphasis on uh, the collaboration as a team to accomplish the mission. And yes, there's a real um, strong understanding about the chain of command. And when a decision is made, uh, then that decision has been made and we need to move out and execute. But the norm, I would say, is that 
and especially with with the best leaders that I've seen in the military, the most effective leaders I've seen in the military, there's a sense of collaboration, a sense of um, respect for other people's experience and expertise, and really a need to to um, lean on that experience and expertise because each individual has a role to play in the success of the mission. So I mentioned that I was in special forces. I started out in infantry, but I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about a special forces team. And I don't think it's the exception uh, just because it's a, an elite uh, special forces is an, is an elite organization that this is somehow different. There are differences with the what we call the, the, the conventional versus the unconventional military. But uh, I, I think these lessons apply uh, as well equally outside of special forces. So in a special forces team, you have uh, typically one officer, a warrant officer, and then uh, 10 non-commissioned officers. And the officer is in charge. This is the one that is responsible for everything the team does or fails to do uh, and has that responsibility. But uh, in order to accomplish the mission, you know, he has to or she has to rely on the individuals on the team that have particular expertise. So, for example, you have a communications, uh, two communications specialists, you have two engineer specialists, uh, you have two intelligence specialists, weapons specialists, and they all have expertise that are critical to success of the mission. So uh, a team commander would never succeed by simply saying, this is how we're going to accomplish the mission and you need, to, you need to just move out and execute. It's critical to rely on the talent and skills and experience of, uh, of the individuals on the team. And, you know, that's even more so in a special forces team because you're often isolated in isolated environments with, with little support. Um, but the, the thing that also relates back to the larger military is this overriding theme of what we call mission command. Uh, mission command is the process, the philosophy of pushing responsibility down to uh, the lowest levels. The lowest is a terrible uh, term to use, but you know, to the to the individuals that are closest to whatever action is is occurring, uh, because the philosophy is that those individuals are best positioned to make decisions about what uh, needs to happen. That can only occur if the commander has done a good job of communicating what the plan is and what the intent of the plan is. So we have another term besides mission command that's commander's intent. And the one thing we say is if you don't remember anything about the plan, just remember what the intent is. The intent is to um, hold this bridge, for example. Uh, get to this bridge and hold this bridge so that if the plan completely goes uh, by the wayside, which it often does, and you're out of communication with your uh, sub-elements as a commander, you have confidence that they know what the intent is and that they will move forward and, and execute the mission. So it's this sense of decentralization and pushing responsibility down through mission command and commander's intent that, that we use. Vince, As a diplomat, you've been sent to different countries, such as France and the Netherlands. Uh, how was it for you to work with people in these different countries and, and cultures? Would you say people look differently at authority and leadership? I loved my assignments working in the international arena. And uh, the one thing, I learned a couple things, more than a couple things, but two things that stick out for me. One is that, you know, it's really 
it gets back to the point of, of understanding common interests and establishing common purpose. Uh, you know, I, I think that whatever success I had in positions in France or the Netherlands um, were because I was willing to, I knew what U.S. interests were, but I, I, I was really interested in learning what, what, in, what interests the French had or the Dutch had. And I always thought about it as two circles and it's the overlap of the interests where you have to focus your efforts. And so I, I feel that, you know, again, it, where I was successful occasionally, the French officers or the Dutch officers really knew that I wasn't just trying to accomplish U.S. interest at, at the expense of France uh, or, or, you know, or Dutch interests, but that I was really trying to build something collaborative with them. And, and, and I realized that that was a, a powerful thing that would help, that helped to attract the support that I needed for some of the things that I was trying to do. And, uh, you know, even when I was, um, trying to coordinate with, you know, staffs that were hundreds of miles away, for example, uh, you know, it allowed me to sort of understand we have these common interests to communicate that, to establish that common purpose and to really achieve things that, that were um, advantageous to both sides. Vince, thank you so much for um, sharing all of these, you know, viewpoints and combining the best of both worlds from both the military and the civilian world. It was super interesting. So thank you very much for being here and thank you for sharing your story. Tom, I want to thank you for the opportunity and uh, thank you and the whole team for what you do. Uh, it's really important, I believe, and I uh, appreciate what you're doing. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this leadership conversation and we would love to hear from you and continue the conversation with you. So please send any comments, questions or suggestions for a next leadership session to podcast at tpcleadership.com. This podcast was offered to you by TPC Leadership. And please know that the guests that we interview during this series share their own views. They do not talk on behalf of the organization that they're part of. For more podcasts, please visit the TPC website, tpcleadership.com forward slash insights. Thank you for listening.